This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I am so excited for today because we've got Phil Soper on the program. He is the president and CEO of Royal LePage, as well as Bridgemark Real Estate Services. Phil is a guy that we have been watching over the years, the reports, the commentary on the market, the always top-notch, like grade-A product. And uh, yeah, this is a great forecaster. And an accurate forecaster. Yeah, I mean they have a they have a lot of data and a lot of people behind the scenes working right. on this, right? But Royal LePage is definitely in that sphere of well, and and Phil says it, you know, CMHC. There's a couple of big players that come out with national forecasts. Royal LePage is one of them. So it's great having him on the show, breaking down where we're at, where we're headed. Markets Phil's excited about yeah. uh, what the issues are in Canadian housing. There's so many, uh, what the key issues are, I should say. There's a lot of takeaways today. What I love about having guys like Phil on the program who have such a deep understanding of the market is he can talk about like the broad Canadian market where he's just generally talking about it regionally. And then he can get to like the granular level in like a market like Vancouver or Toronto, like down almost to the sub area. Oh, yeah. Like it's incredible. His, uh, his, the depth of his market knowledge is, uh, is, is definitely something that, uh, makes for an exciting conversation. Absolutely. So stay tuned for that. Before we cut to our talk with Phil though, Adam, we have a lot of content we've produced and we're, we're dropping it like over the last eight years or the, no, the ones no, no, we've been no. working on? No, we've been working on some. So here's the thing. In the summer, you know, we got to front load some of these episodes. Yeah. So Because you're a global citizen. I'm a global you got you to you to Winnipeg. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Basically, what, we're, what I'm trying to say is we've spent the last couple of weeks really gathering some amazing content that's going to take us into August for sure. Yeah. I'm so excited to release these. But I am headed... To Manitoba, I'll be in Winnipeg for a couple of days. But, you know, I said to you before, because it's, you know, we're on a, what, 24, 25 above. Time's not a cloud uh, in the sky. June 28th. It's the, it's like the best. It's what we've been waiting for for 10 months. I went to the beach on Sunday, biked the seawall to get there with my yeah. daughter. It was like the best time ever. So you're excited to leave. I'm excited to leave. This is it. It's like <laughs> the minute the summer hits, I'm out of here for, is Vancouver, for most of it. Vancouver's the Best place on earth in the summer. It's like the perfect place to be. The weather is amazing. Everyone is going crazy right now because, it, you know, it's like, it's been a long winter, a lot of rain. Everybody's out. The beaches are packed. The parks are packed. Everybody's having fun. I I sometimes think about like my kids growing up here, seeing this, like, yeah, do, you, do you know how uh, how lucky you yeah, are exactly. to be on this seawall or in this park or whatever? Just, it's the best. Yeah. It's the best. No, and it is it's a it is the most exciting time of the year for sure. So yeah, glad to be heading out. 
Glad to be heading out for sure. Uh, and you're gone for like I'll the whole month. See, I'll see you in August. I, I'm gone for pretty close to three weeks. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a family connection, cousins, sure, cousins, sure. all the rest. It's It'll be, be fun. It's a beautiful spot. You'll, you'll go to but, Grand um, Beach. But I'll tell you one thing, man. Yeah. The timing is not working out well. Yeah. I should have known July was nice here. Well, whatever. We can, uh, you'll, you'll be back in time for September. <laughs> what else do we got, Matt, before we get to our conversation with Phil? Well, I think we should just mention one more thing, and that is the Sold Planet Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com. Uh, you said the most downloaded document in VREP history right. from the site. It's actually incredible. It, it's awesome. We're beefing this thing up because we actually, I think it's a great the, document. The demand is there. The it's demand a, is there. But it's a great document in its own right in that it's it, what it is, is it's a step-by-step -step guide. If you're thinking about selling your property, this is like, what do you do over the next two weeks to get your home ready for market? It's evergreen. You can use it this year. You can use it five years from now, but it's a document to keep on file. It's like a ch almost like a checklist. It's straightforward. It's easy to use. But the reason I'm thinking we could even beef it up is because there's so much more to say about getting a property ready. And this is based on experience of, you know, over a decade of selling hundreds of homes. This is like what we use to get a property is ready. You can't always check every box, but it's a general guide to get your place ready for market. And so many people from the industry downloading it as well. It's an instant download. If anybody gets new ideas from it, fantastic. Happy to share it with uh, anyone who wants to download a copy. It's there on the site. Absolutely. VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Hit sell with us for your copy of The Sold Plan today. But maybe we should uh, cut to our talk with Phil because this is this is a great conversation. So many takeaways. Very exciting to have Phil Soper on the show. Got to say. Yeah, I love this episode. Here's our conversation with Phil Soper. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam, with 165 homes ranging from junior one-beds to three-beds. Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at marcon.ca slash sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at marcon.ca or follow them at Instagram at marconhomes. Marcon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with Phil Soper. He is the president and CEO of Royal LePage. How you doing, Phil? Very good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, th thanks so much, Phil, for for taking the time. We've been big fans uh, and followed your your market research for for a long time now. Uh, but for listeners who don't know, can you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm the uh, CEO of a company called Bridgemark Real Estate which is the parent company of a number of famous 
brands, uh, the, the big national one being Royal LePage. We also have uh, Johnson Daniel, a boutique in um, the city of, of Toronto, something like Oakland, I guess. And uh, Trouble Immobilier, another boutique in the Laurentians, uh, Via Capital, which is a, a very Quebec-focused uh, brand, uh, the only company operating in, in uh, Quebec. And we even have a, uh, a virtual business, uh, something like EXP that operates in the eastern part of the country. No offices, field staff, uh, people are, it's, it's driven by mobile tech platforms. So big old company, we've been around for uh, 110 years. Wow. And, and Phil, how, how did you get your start in real estate? Oh, that was, uh, I'd like to say I worked my way up from the top. Um, <laughs> way, way, way back in the day, I used to run IBM consulting and uh, IT services implementation business. I spent 15 years with IBM in the, mostly in the 90s, uh, the dot-com boom. And I moved around uh, the world a lot. Had a young, young family, my first uh, two kids, up four, and uh, IBM wanted me to move again. I was, li- I was in Toronto at the time and had a one-year-old and a four-year-old, and I just didn't feel like moving. An old friend, I, I grew up in the West, I grew up in Calgary, did my undergrad at the University of Alberta, an old friend from uh, my U of A days, was running another Brookfield company. Brookfield's the majority owner of our uh, of our firm, or the the, the largest uh, investor, and uh, he said, "Hey, they're looking for someone. They've acquired a couple of companies. They're looking for someone to knit together the um, systems and cultures." And so I went and had a a meeting with this guy who was my predecessor. So they, this was a subsidiary of Rollapage of this this business. So I took the leap and I left IT and I moved into real estate. That was in 2000. And 18 months later, uh, he retired and I got the nod. So my first job directly in real estate was uh, running the firm. A bit of a, I say that <laughs> I've been on a couple of uh, university boards, U of A and Toronto Metropolitan University. And when I'm speaking to uh, students, they're all keen, you know, wondering how they get ahead in their careers and whatever. And I say, well, don't underestimate the power of luck in in career planning <laughs> it is it is it is an important element because i will say the dot com bubble burst in uh, 2000 and my successor at ibm had to lay off hundreds of people and really the company never really recovered and of course you guys would know uh, the last uh, 25 years in real estate has been very very good to us right it's been uh, one of canada's most uh, enduring and successful uh, industrial sectors over a quarter of a century. So a great place to, to have a career. So, so Phil, when I read your reports, it's clear that you're real estate obsessed. And I wonder, you know, at that time when you're transitioning, it seems that you're very uh, business savvy and, and it's more like you came into the industry. Can you talk about kind of developing a, a, a real interest in real estate itself? Yeah, well, there's a personal passion there. I, I have principle, leadership principles that were developed early on in my, in my business life that have evolved. But one of the key ones is I need my leadership team, people I work with, to have a passion for the industry 
that we're in. So this would be a, a passion for real estate, passion for helping people find homes, realize, realize their personal real estate dreams or, you know, Royal Page Commercial is a great big commercial brokerage or business people to use a real property as a as a tool for for growing their enterprises. So, yeah, passion passion is is at the heart of what we do. Real estate, in particular, it's something that that interests most of us. If you may have seen a recent report, got a lot of media attention on um, on investing in Canadian real estate, and we found four point four million. This is just like maybe two weeks old. 4.4 million Canadians invest in real estate today. That's 11% of the population. 26% of the population intend to. Now, we'll never reach that level. That's that's very aspirational. But it just shows you, you know, we've, we've got close to 10 million people in Canada that want to be landlords, that want to be investors in real estate. But back to the real number, that 4.4 million, 15% of those, so 15% of these millions of Canadians don't even own their principal residence. And most of them are under the age of that 15% are under the age of 35. So they're still living in their mom's basement, <laughs> but they're they're landlords. They've invested in real estate. So it is something Canadians uh, are very passionate about. And it's been very, very good to generations of people. If you're in a nation that's growing, that's that's able to create a, a society, a culture where people from all over the world get along and prosper together. They need a place to live. And we're we're the conduit for that. And and that's a, that's a beautiful thing. And it's a beautiful way to earn a living. So, Phil, I think I know the answer to this, but it, you basically outlined what's definitely true in Vancouver, that in real estate and investing in real estate is, is basically a Canadian pastime and has been for the last couple decades increasingly. Is that healthy? Is the Canadian real estate market healthy right now in your mind? It's unhealthy because of house price inflation. So, and Vancouver has been at the the heart of that challenge for a long, long time. A healthy market is not one in which the price of your deliverable, your service, your product is escalating at a rate that far exceeds underlying wages and salaries. We provide services, brokerage services, and therefore homes to the masses. We're, we're not a an industry that focuses only on the elite. And so you don't want your product to spin out of control in terms of the, the price that people have to pay for it so that you're excluding generations of people. That's not that's not healthy. So that's the that's the only issue is we're like gold or Bitcoin in that we we can get really uncomfortably high price changes because supply is so constrained relative to demand. Other than that, it's an incredibly healthy industry. Uh, you know, we're, we rank number one on the planet in terms of um, population growth among developed countries. Uh, we've, we've sparred for number one with Australia, but we're over the last uh, 
few years since the beginning of the pandemic, we've we've really stretched out our lead there. And it's necessary because Canada is a nation, an older nation. People are living longer. Uh, they're not they're not leaving their homes when they're older now because they're healthy and they've got the cash to stay in them. But they're retiring from the workforce at a much greater rate than young people are entering the workforce. So they're not paying taxes anymore, yet they're still expecting all the services one should expect being a Canadian citizen. So we we have a big problem that we solve through our wonderfully tolerant society. We're able to attract the best and brightest from around the world to fill that huge gap between the number of people leaving the workforce and the number of people entering it. But because people aren't leaving their homes, we need to find places for them to live, which you know, we, we're just not building fast enough. So that's the, it's sort of a, a, a good news, bad news story. So on the good news side, we've got demand like almost no place on earth. And on the, on the bad news side, we, we, we just don't have the product necessary to satisfy that demand. And by the way, and this often gets mixed, this is not a new problem. It started, you could draw, you could actually chart this and find the, the tipping point. It was 1995. So we're approaching 30 years of underbuilding relative to household formation in this country. It just really accelerated over the past, call it five years. Phil, do you have a sense of why, and maybe this is outside the scope of what you do, but like, it strikes me as that's almost, that's what, 30 years of underbuilding. And we talk a lot about, you know, about the challenges, especially in Vancouver around getting things built. But 30 years across the country strikes me as, as a very long time to be sitting on our hands. What do you attribute that to? Part of it's tax policy um, at the municipal level. Part of it is conflicting agendas. So we have, um, we have health agendas, we have environmental agendas. We are a democracy and we like everybody to be able to voice their, their concerns. Part of it is relative to, to an aging population. And what typically happens when population age is they get more conservative and they're less open to change. So we have this big bubble of baby boomers who are at a state where they don't want higher density in their neighborhoods. They don't want things to change. They like the good old days. And we, being a open listening society, this is not a BC problem. This is a this is just life in Canada. Provide conduits for them to to object and and slow down development. There's been as cities get bigger, as governments uh, get more complex, costs rise and budgets. I mean, there isn't a major city in the country that's not under huge, huge uh, fiscal pressure to try to bring some balance to their expenditures for for transit and housing and and uh, environmental concerns. So the tendency is to to bump up costs, to bump up prices on things like development. So, so on one hand, the cycle time between the idea to create more housing to actually handing over the, the keys to a family has stretched and stretched and stretched and got longer and longer. And it's also gotten more expensive. There's also one other thing, and this goes back 
20 some years now, not quite back as far as when they, when we stopped building uh, enough homes, but it's to 9-11, the, the, the great crisis when the, the World Trade Centers came, came down. That caused lots of builders concern. It was amplified a few years later in the Great Recession of 2008. And we, across North America, builders got more conservative. Prior to that, if you go back to the 80s and 90s, builders were more, they they build ahead of demand. So they mm. have a leg up on their competition. They tended, particularly post Great Recession, they tended to build just to demand. And that means you're, because projects take a long time to, especially multis, you, t- you tend to be never quite meeting demand. So... That's just a, a structure of our industry. Now, how would you fix that? Well, you fix that with tax policy. You put in, you, you basically say, as uh, uh, policymakers at the provincial or, or uh, municipal level, hey, listen, um, we'll provide some tax incentives for you to build to projected demand, not actual sort of short-term down, but projected demand, and, and we'll give you this incentive to be through tax breaks. So what you're really saying is um, is governments are going to shoulder some of that risk, and private developers will sh- shoulder a little bit more. But that's tough to get governments to do when they don't have enough money to pay for their latest transit project, right? So, right. So it's a it's a big, big challenge. Uh, we're making progress. You know, the federal government, provincial governments, right across the country and municipal governments all agree now that supply is the issue. <laughs> BC led the way in the um, last decade with, call it frivolous, legislation that was designed to make voters happy. And I think it was both governments, uh, if I recall. It wasn't, wasn't just the NDP. It was the, the, the previous government Yeah, the well. liberals as well, yeah. yeah. So, and, and it was aimed at artificially quelling demand. You know, you, you, you throw taxes at, at the marketplace, you blame, you blame foreign investors, you pick bad guys that are popular among the uneducated, and you create another problem, which is, which is a bubble. Because housing isn't something people do frivolously. They do it because they need a place to live. Now, some would counter and say, yeah, but what about investors? You know, these investors throw money. Well, they're not leaving the property sitting there. They're, they're providing housing to their tenants. So mm-hmm. housing, housing is not a frivolous undertaking, and you can't artificially quell demand. You can only build to, to satisfy. You need, you need the supply side of the equation. And the good news is all levels of government now agree on it. They even are starting to coalesce around some of the ideas on how to approach that. But here's where the big gap is. It's on execution. You know, the feds have, have promised billions of dollars on the housing file in campaign promises and in budgets, and only a fraction of it has actually been spent. Provincial governments are no better. They make huge, huge promises huge price tags. It sounds like you're really going to make a difference. And then execution is where they fall, fall short. 
Phil, I'm, I'm just, you know, when we talk about this most recent downturn, we've often kind of been pegging the, uh, the bottom around November, say, of last year. However, this year has been, been a fairly busy market. Has, has this year been a surprise for you? Well, yes. So, yes, but we got the direction right. I'm, I'm really pleased with our economics and data group. Um, if I go back to the pandemic year itself, we, among the serious forecasters that actually have, you know, economists on staff and, and do the math and have models and things, and I'd say that's Canadian Real Estate Association, CMHC, and the big banks, they'd be the, uh, along with us. We were the closest in 2020 to calling the, the shape of that year. So if you recall back then, CMHC was calling for a collapse of real estate prices. Right. right. And we didn't see it based on this supply-demand imbalance. It just that people needed a place to live. And it wasn't obvious to us where this, this great collapse in home prices would come from. So we had... We had forecast that prices in 2020 would dip uh, to double digits level, return at the end of that year to a couple of points above the start of the year. And we were off. It actually ended the year up, you know, maybe up 12 percent. That's 2020. 2021, we forecast uh, like a bumper crop, but we didn't expect 25 and 30 percent price increases. So we were we were right in predicting the 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 direction and the the sort of general frothiness of the market, but it far exceeded our expectations. Fast forward to twenty three, we had anticipated that the the downside when when the Bank of Canada started raising interest rates and the most aggressive interest rate raising campaign um, in modern history um, underwent and the the incredible overshooting of the market, the irrational exuberance in 21 and the first quarter of 22, we thought it would take longer for, for prices to recover. I don't know, Vancouver is a, an example because it's the most extreme. We had predicted that 23 home prices in Toronto would end up 2% down over the end of 22, we revise our forecast every quarter. At the end of the first quarter, we had to revise it from minus two to plus 7.5. So that's a 10% change in a forecast, 9.5, in 12 weeks. That's the biggest 12-week swing in our uh, outlook in history. And by the way, we're, we haven't released it yet because it happens shortly, like next week. But it's going to be revised upward again in Vancouver and Toronto and, and, and other major cities across the country. So, again, I'd say if there's one thing, when you're reading forecasts from, from us or other major forecasters, we tend to underestimate the amplitude of market changes. They tend to be more violent than uh, our, our, our models or the humans that tweak those models uh, predict. And uh, this 23 would be the, the, the same. That the market, the you know, employment's been way, way stronger than anyone expected given the rapid rise in interest rates. And the housing market has recovered 
at a much faster clip than we had anticipated, even though we got the direction correct. And, and if I understand, Phil, this is a heard it here first moment, but you're revising up upward next week. Is that is that correct? That's right. For for both Vancouver, Toronto, well, basically all the major cities. The hottest city in the country in volume terms is actually Calgary. After gosh, six years of the doldrums. When I first came <laughs> yeah. into this job, this would be early 2000, 2002, The most expensive city in the country is. Vancouver, surprise, surprise. Number two was Calgary. Number three was Toronto. If you look at prices in Vancouver versus uh, Calgary now, you can get about of that standard benchmark two-story detached home in the the roller page, house price composite. You can get three in Calgary for the price of one in uh, Vancouver. So when oil prices collapsed in 2014, Prices in Calgary just went stagnant. Well, you know, Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal all went through this this uh, six, seven, eight year period of, of, of rapid appreciation. And so suddenly you've got this huge pricing advantage uh, on the other side of the Rockies. And we're seeing people from the lower mainland migrate to Alberta. We're seeing not as many as Southern Ontario, but Southern Ontario is a net net donor to Atlantic Canada and uh, Alberta just because of um, the cost of housing. The overall cost of living, you know, eating, clothing, school, whatever, isn't that much different in Calgary and Vancouver, but the cost of housing is dramatically different. We're seeing it in the United States, too, where people move from Move from uh, San Diego or or uh, San Francisco to to Houston and Phoenix, and it's it's not the cost of living per se; it's the cost of um, housing. Phil, we we talked a little bit about how we have to focus on supply, but also this year has kind of been the one of the themes or stories has been just record low inventory right across the country. What do you attribute the low inventory climate to? Part of it is policymakers' problems. If you if you look at our big cities, you know, it can take literally up to a decade for a developer to get from an idea that they present to policymakers to when they're able to finish construction and hand over the keys to a family. I mean, that's just insane. So that part lands squarely on the the, the cost and cycle time that our municipalities, but the, the provinces share some of that blame too. And, and that's got to be addressed. Some of it is is still pandemic related. It's, it's better, but it has to do with the availability of building materials and labor. You know, skilled labor is incredibly hard to come by. Um, there's some really interesting proposals. One proposal would be to put a focus on um, people with housing construction trades backgrounds. So carpenters, plumbers, people from other parts of the world who want to live in the best country on earth, and they've got to go through a competitive process. What we're focused on today, and rightly so, are health sciences, like doctors, nurses, people in in the health industry, 
um, engineering, technology. Well, you know, expanding that, the, the focus of the, the kind of people we need to, to invite to uh, join us here in our society to include those who have the skills to actually uh, build homes, be they, you know, big, big multi-story condominiums or detached homes would make a lot of policy sense. But we, yeah, that's another reason that supply is such an issue is just finding the people. The, the, the supplies, the, you know, the, the taps from, from uh, Europe or China or, or the United States that, that need to be imported or even just from another part of the country, the supply chain issues we had in terms of getting them on trains, boats, trucks, that's being sorted out. So it's less of an issue. The big issue the last few years, but that's being sorted out. So at least we get a little bit of relief there. And Phil, so there's the there's the supply constraints at the construction level. What are your thoughts on, and it does seem like it's it's a Canadian-wide phenomenon and, and North American-wide, as I understand it at least, uh, where people are just not listing their homes, the the inventory, not only from a new construction standpoint, but also just like it's it's hard to buy something right now because there's just not that much for sale. Like what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, it is a problem. But when you think about it, virtually every lister, everybody who lists a home is also a buyer. So they're not actually, it's not, yes, we right. have more we'd have more inventory if more people put their homes up for sale, but we'd also have more buyers who needed to buy a place. So it's not a really a solution to the housing shortage, but, but yes, at least we have more movement, right? And shuffling of the cards in the net. So there's a, a couple of problems there. The, one, the obvious one is people are terrified that, they'll, that they won't be able to find another place to live. So yeah, what's the easy solution there? You guys would advise your clients to this. Well, let's go find you something. Be easy to sell your place. Once we found something, then we'll sell your house for you. So and some people internalize that and they do that. But there is this, say you get the couple, and again, I'm sure you've seen this a thousand times. One of them really doesn't want to move. One of them really wants to move. The one who doesn't want to move says, we'll never find a place. Haven't you read? There's no homes for sale. It's, it's ridiculous. So <laughs> we're not moving. And they win the day in this in this market. So that's part of it. The other thing is interest rate related. And again, it's not a real problem. It's as much for a lot of people, but perceptually it's a huge problem. And it is, we wrote a lot of business leading into the pandemic, but particularly during the pandemic, during that 2020, 2021, and first quarter of 22, a lot of record number of homes traded hands. A lot of those we're at record low five-year fixed mortgages, right? So there are people with once-in-a-lifetime mortgages that they're sitting on. And, you know, four years has gone by. They've had a kid. You know, maybe they got married. Now they need a place for two, whatever. They would be moving, but they're looking at their mortgage and saying, gosh, you know, I, I just this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I can't give this up. Now, the truth is their banks... They stay with the same financial institution. You can get those mortgages ported, and you're only paying the, the extra fee on the additional amount of the mortgage. So it's not as much of an issue in reality 
as it is perceptually. But people's perception are they just can't can't move. So that's that's grit in the in the gears of a well well oiled uh, housing industry, and it's not going to get fixed immediately. But eventually, people have to you know they there's only so long they're willing to say they got two kids they're in one bedroom apartment sure. one bedroom condo they're they're, they're going to be forced to make a move and 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 there's also a people's perception of what's normal changes so if you know people are getting 5 and 6% mortgages they soon forget that Somewhat that it used to be normal to get two percent one. You know what I mean. So as time goes on, but that it time's a great healer, and in this case, it's going to take a, a little bit of time to to get people's minds around. And we do expect, by the way, you probably saw today, fabulous news: the official CPI, Consumer Price Index, inflation number fell to three point four percent. That's that's huge. Because the last data we had, which turned out to be an aberration, we were on this steady decline. We had a 39-year high of 8.1% a year ago, June 22. 8.1%, 39-year high. And it's steadily been coming down two periods ago, two months ago. It was um, 4.1, and then it ticked up to 4.4. Freaked everybody out including, you know, policymakers, obviously, at the Bank of Canada. What do we see? We see a uh, another bump in the bank rate. Well, now we've seen a drop to 3.4%, which is, like I say, fabulous news. I still think we'll probably see another increase in July on the chance that that 3.4% was was more of a one-off and, and, and they want to be sure. And the bank tends to do things in programs, not a, you know, not knee jerk. But it is great news. And so, why am I telling you this? I think we're closer to when interest rates will not just have peaked, but will begin their gradual descent towards someplace in between those pandemic lows and today's highs. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. This podcast is sponsored by Common Ground Consulting. Are you developing in the Lower Mainland? Common Ground Consulting is a development management and consulting company with experience in single family, townhouses, multifamily, and commercial developments. What I love about Common Ground, Adam, is they manage the whole development process from due diligence and feasibility reports for initial purchase of land to completing rezoning, development permits, and building permits. They streamline the whole process with strong relationships with sub-consultants and municipalities and a deep understanding of all city requirements. Common Ground Consulting. Feasibility and efficiency prioritized every step of the way. Learn more at commonground-consulting.com or 604-807-6419. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, 
the big wigs over at Oakwind, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakwind.com slash join typing in VRP 2020. And we should maybe uh, timestamp this as June 27th. Uh, we got the inflation news this morning, right? So, so yeah, we, we also thought that was great news. And we, to be honest, I, I think we were kind of feeling like the sentiment had shifted a bit based on the quarter point increase from a couple of weeks back. And I'm not sure if you're seeing that more at the kind of the, the national level. We saw a, an immediate reaction in the building community. You know, we talked a lot about builders earlier. There was a slowdown in new home construction just a week after that announcement. So those business people running new home construction are incredibly sensitive and, and worried about interest rates and the ability of their customers to you know, secure and, and pay a mortgage. So they stopped building. But we haven't seen on a national basis, we have not seen a material downward tick in demand. Again, that's a national number. So it appears, this is the way I'd look at it. The We had this huge group of Canadians who needed to improve their housing situation. We had another big group of existing Canadians who had graduated from school and want to get out of their parents' bedroom. Right. They're new home buyers, whether they're or new home seekers, whether they're renters or buyers. And then we added a record number of new Canadians that came in on top of that. So we get get these the unsatisfied demand of the pandemic. We get the the new organic Canadians and the new Canadians themselves, the immigrants. All of this were in a wait and see holding pattern as the Bank of Canada was cranking up interest rates. Lots of talk about recession, lots of talk about home prices collapsing. And they didn't be, want to be the one who bought a house that in uh, two months' time was worth 10% less. So suddenly, the Bank of Canada stops raising rates, and there's this rush of demand into the market, and prices start appreciating again. I don't think that 25 basis point increase or one more will be enough to to stem the tide. It's like, a, you know, the, the little Dutch boy with his finger in the dike, he scratched his ear and, and the damn thing cracked. The dam's cracked, the water's flowing through. I don't think there's going to be anything that's going to stop this demand other than say a full-fledged recession, which really doesn't look probable right now. Does this uh, moment in the market remind you of any any previous markets uh, that you've you've operated in i mean it feels and, and the reason i mention that is cuz a lot of the people that we're talking to right now the market feels like it's almost every week we're we're analyzing it and and maybe overanalyzing it but it it feels like things can change on a moment's notice right now can you can you point to anything from your years of monitoring the market where this feels similar sure it actually happens all the time people think the market is a steady climb year after year after year. But even just going back 15 years, we had the financial system failure, Lehman Brothers, the Great Recession, whatever you want to call it, in 2008, which triggered a major market correction. Then there was overshooting in the early part of the, of the, the decade. We had another market correction in 2012, where volumes 
volumes declined and uh, sale prices went flat. Then it got run away into the middle of the decade, the 2015-16, when the BC government started implementing uh, various uh, random taxes, uh, trying to artificially quell demand. Ontario government, Quebec government, it was it was common across the country in the middle of the, the decade. Some of this resulted in market slowdowns, but where it really hit was 2018, when um, not the federal government, people think it's federal government, but the, the superintendent that oversees financial institutions implemented the mortgage stress test, January 1st, 2018, caused a big market correction. Prices dropped, um, volumes plummeted, and it took about, uh, depending where you were in the country, kind of Montreal sort of skated through it with much lower home prices and other factors won't, won't get into here. But Vancouver and Toronto, it really wasn't until the latter half of 2019 that the market recovered from that. And we were forecasting a blockbuster 2020 when the um, pandemic hit. And we had to shut down the market, keep each other safe, blah, blah, blah. So there are these these surges and and slowdowns and run-aheads and uncomfortable home price inflation and market corrections that happen constantly. It's not a straight line. The straight line is when you take all these little dips, ups and downs and ups and downs, and you you draw lines sort of generally through them, and it's up. Over, over the decades, if you go back 75 years, home prices in Canada have appreciated between 5 and 6% compound every year, year after year. It's not a straight line. Sometimes it's flat. Sometimes it's 15%. The pandemic era was a little more violent, but it was the same kind of uneven growth that's part of the fabric of a, of a growing, expanding nation like Canada. Phil, just thinking about uneven growth, maybe I'm looking for a segue that's too too neat here. Really, what I'd like to know is, you know, you're you're monitoring all markets in the country. Royal Page, of course, has a as a presence throughout the country, along with the other brokerages. Can you say which markets you're most excited about? Uh, sometimes we phrase this like if you had a nephew looking to make an investment anywhere in Canada, what are what are some of the areas you'd say, hey, take a look, take a look here, take a look here. And you like the nephew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good point. Not not my mother-in-law. No, she's, she's a lovely, lovely woman. The um, When you're looking to buy stocks, what what someone, what an advisor, someone, an analyst will say is, you know, you need a combination of um, future prospects and entry price. So, so you probably want to pick a uh, a place in the country that has some upside, maybe not the best upside, but also has a a, a reasonable entry level price. And that's why I think um, Alberta looks so strong right now. Um, people are moving to the province because home prices are are just so much cheaper than the other major cities. And that was as a result of the collapse of uh, oil prices 10 years ago. Of course, they've recovered for how long, who knows, but it's it's it, it has resulted 
in um, an investment opportunity in in that particular region of the Calgary cities. You don't necessarily have to, or Alberta cities doesn't necessarily have to be Calgary. You could invest in Edmonton or uh, Medicine Hat, for example, to just pick a two that are growing and, and looking good. In British Columbia, obviously, there are lots of places people are, you're, you're experiencing the same sort of shifting of, uh, of people that we're experiencing in other major urban areas. And that would be, you know, potentially moving into the interior or or maybe not Kelowna because it's it's very exp- expensive, but maybe it's Cambridge or Vernon or something like that. So there are are opportunities. All of this, of course, comes with with a cost. You know, you got to live in Vernon, and <laughs> some people don't want to live in Vernon, right? They they really would prefer to um, stay living in the royal uh, the, the the lower mainland or Vancouver proper. And this is this is not any different than, um, you know, celebrated expensive cities like New York City. A lot of people would say, I'll just never live in New York. Yet there are, I can't remember what the the latest number, 14 million in in, uh, Metro New York. There there are people finding ways to live in New York. If you look at the home ownership rate in Canada, overall, we're, we're not the highest in the world, but we're among them at about 68%. You know what the number is in the lower mainland? 64%. It's not that much different. Yes, it's lower than, say, in Calgary or um, in Prince George, where homes are so much cheaper. Uh, But 64, that's two-thirds of people in the lower mainland have found a way to become homeowners. And every generation says, we've got it so hard and we'll never own a home because homes are so expensive. And this is not a new tune. And every generation finds a, a way to do exactly that. Now, one of the things we found is the, the percentage of first-time home buyers, we just released another study with Sajin, uh, the largest home insurer in the country, that showed 35% of first-time buyers are now getting financial assistance from from uh, family. Uh, so that number has climbed over time, and and it's because there's so much money sitting in the baby boomer generation. So call it pre-inheritance. Right. Right. So yeah, don't know if that that no that yeah that's directly answer my question, but uh, your question, but the um, there there are definitely in our investor research, we're also finding people investing in regions where they don't live. I've got a future son-in-law. My daughter's engaged. And um, she and her fiancé, they live in Calgary. They moved from Toronto to Calgary for her work. And he and his brother just bought a place in St. Catharines. His brother, his little brother lives in in Toronto, so St. Catharines is, call it as far away. It, it, oh gosh, it would be at least two hours away from where he'd live in in Toronto, and of course across the country from where the Luca lives in Calgary. Why? Well, because all the online tools allow them to do research and find an advisor 
through someone like you, you'll you can find someone to refer work to anywhere, mm-hmm. right, in the country. And um, so they're saying, "Gosh, St. Catherine's looks like an opportunity." You know, uh, Prince George looks like an opportunity, booming, booming town. And so I think I'll I'll make some investment there. And of course, the the final piece of the uh, that puzzle, call it the redistribution of housing owners in the country, is that there are more jobs that are available to do remotely than there used to be. It's still not ubiquitous. It's not everybody who can who can live from anywhere, but there are more jobs available now that allow you to live in a lower housing cost jurisdiction and, and work elsewhere. My my uh, daughter, another daughter, works for uh, TELUS, but she lives in Toronto, and her entire worker, she's a you know a young manager, and she's got staff. They're spread across the country. They're they're not. Uh, there's one in Toronto, I think, another one in Ontario somewhere, and a couple in um, uh, BC. So it's not necessary for everybody to huddle together in our big cities like it used to be. And Phil, maybe as a a final question, we've taken a lot of your time today, just thinking about maybe the last half of this year and and 2024, I know you're releasing another quarterly report really soon uh, in the next week or two. What are your thoughts on the last half of this year in 2024 for uh, specifically maybe the Toronto and Vancouver markets? Sure. I think Toronto will lead the the country in in degrading affordability. Let me put it that <laughs> way, from a, a, a consumer's point of view, from a from a homeowner standpoint, lead the country in in uh, equity appreciation. We've just seen a more acute imbalance in um, the GT Greater Toronto area than we've seen anywhere else. Calgary. Vancouver, not that far behind uh, for different reasons. For Vancouver, uh, it's the the resilience and the strength of the British Columbia economy. Still a lot of capital investment, a lot of um, a lot of um, exciting things happening in BC, and that's translating into a lot of housing demand. In Vancouver, uh, Calgary. As we talked about earlier, the most affordable major city in the country. So yeah, they they're they're the big ones, and uh, it's going to be you know failing a full blown recession as I mentioned earlier, which I really don't think is in the cards right now. I think policymakers have engineered a, what what we call a soft landing. From the craziness of the pandemic, it, it and, and we'll we'll be fine, except for we don't have enough houses. But it'll be a strong strong year, double double digit home price appreciation in um, our major cities, but not the crazy twenty five percent that we saw during the pandemic. Call it high single digit, low double digit, around that ten percent mark. After a year where home prices actually went backwards, right where they where they dropped. So in most regions of the country, we'll probably by the end of the year be have recovered the home price value or home values that were lost during 2022. 
Well, maybe we'll leave it there, Phil, but we do have this quick segment, five the five-wire, five lighthearted questions that we okay, end every show okay. with. Uh, can you stick around for that? Sure. The five-wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey, that sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full-service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. Okay. So question number one is one book that you've read recently that you would recommend for our listeners. Well, one I just finished, you know, top of, top of mind is called The Ministry for the Future. It's, it's a little bit dense. But it's a novel, but it's it's really optimistic. It basically takes the um, climate crisis and in the first half of the book goes to very dark, dark places. And then the world gets its act together. And I, you know, a bit of a spoiler, but, you know, you wouldn't pick it up otherwise. It ends, <laughs> everything, everything ends up being really good. And there's a, a whole bunch of wonderful ideas in their ministry of the future, uh, Robinson. So yeah, that, that would be the book. Oh, interesting. Okay. I like that. That, that sounds, uh, I can deal with the dark if, uh, if there's light at the end of the <laughs> exactly. tunnel. Phil. In, in the last few years, Phil, what new belief behavior or habit has most improved your life? Gosh, probably drinking less. You know, I, I, uh, I was never a, well, maybe if I go way back, but just, I, and it's my kids. I've got four kids and two of them are teetotalers and, um, and they're all in in their twenties. And, uh, you know, you read about what the impacts of alcohol have on the body and in our industry, especially someone like me, who's constantly traveling and you know hosting events and we like that fun and everything just sort of weaning myself of of uh, a big night on the town is as uh, i definitely feel better about that interestingly if you there's a a brewery great speaker if you want and i'm gonna forget his name todd i can't forget remember his last name but he's the ceo of tool shed brewery in Cal- out of Calgary, it's one of the uh, most successful independent breweries. Their number one product growth category in the last uh, two years has been non-alcoholic beer. So, um, yeah, that would be number two. It's uh, a lot of our uh, a lot of our our uh, friends have uh, gone dry and sober recently, and that's actually what. Uh, Everybody seems to be drinking non-alcoholic beer, but it's often hard to find like actually a, a decent tasting craft beer. I, I agree. And I, by the way, I'm no saint, um, so I don't mind you know, <laughs> drinking real champagne to celebrate or having uh, a glass of wine with um, at a nice birthday dinner with a with a uh, with a meal. But you know, you don't need to have six, right? It is, it is, it's really interesting to watch the kind of generational shift that you're kind of outlining in your own family at play as well. That's, uh, I agree. It's, it seems so strange that somebody in their early 20s is, it's abstaining. not, 
is not blind drunk every Saturday night. I agree. I agree. What's wrong with them? <laughs> uh, question number three is, what have you been binge watching lately or a favorite movie? Um, I'm late to the succession game. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I'm a business guy. Live my life in... in either running or working in, in, in big companies. So I, I, I'm really digging it. I'm, I'm, uh, only halfway through. I know, I know it's all wrapped up now and I'm a couple of years behind, but I'm, I'm quite enjoying the, all the dysfunctional characters. Cause I see some of them. <laughs> yeah. In real Interesting. People. Yeah, exactly. Is there is there anybody? I was going to say, do you identify with Logan? But uh, are you? Are you? <laughs> I'm not, not nearly that old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, no, no, yeah, not in that way. Yeah, that's no way. Right. Uh, Matt, uh, Matt, right? Yeah. you identify with Kendall. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah. Poor Kendall at the halfway point. <laughs> You know, I don't know where that guy's going, but so don't don't tell me. But uh, you know, sometimes I think he's the worst, and sometimes I'm cheering for him. I think that's oh. uh, the beauty. It's sort of a little bit like Game of Thrones, um, in that <laughs> in that you just there's no predictable. It's it's not predictable who's the good guy, the bad guy, who's going to win, who's going to lose. Uh, that's that's and, a great comparison, yeah, actually. Yeah, <laughs> you know, killing off your favorite characters. Maybe they don't die at the the hand of a a sword or a or a dragon, but they they still die. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, favorite band or music? I'd say. So I've got a band. We're we're a we're a a, a country rock band called called Gold Cure Society. Um, just a cover band, but it so it's something I'm passionate about music and. Um, and I like kind of interesting alt music. Over the last few um, weeks, I've seen, I, I went and saw Ed Sheeran with my wife. And I'm not really, I would never listen to Ed. It was fun. He puts out a great show. That is just not the kind of music I'd listen to. I went and, uh, with a, a buddy of mine, one of my brokers, runs a, who's a professional guitarist too. We went and saw a, a Hispanic group called the Mavericks I've never seen. They've been around forever. They were amazing. Great. Call it uh, Marachi rock and roll. Uh, I, it, oh, interesting. It, it, was, it was great fun. But again, you know, I wouldn't be putting them on my, um, on my uh, uh, playlist when I'm walking the dog. The third band I've seen in the last couple of weeks is Death Cab for Cutie. I don't know. Do you know Death Cab? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're amazing. And they've got a new album out. They're awesome. The National has a new album out. Amazing. I think National right. or Cleveland. Um, Def Cab, I think, is Seattle. They're Northwest anyways. Yeah. Um, so i big fan of Taylor Swift in, for example, the, her Folklore album. She, oh, my God. That's, yeah, that yeah. album is unbelievable. Exactly, right? So that's the kind of music I like. And there's there seems to be an embarrassment of riches right out there right now. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And last but not least, Phil, and then we'll let you go, but uh, something that you've purchased for under $1,500 that's had a positive impact on your life in the last few years. I guess, you know, maybe my my Apple Watch Ultra. Is that under 1500 
You know what? I we have we're just learning. We have the the regular Apple watches, right. but the Ultra. This is a, a newer yeah, version, even, right? So it is. I you know I've had an Apple Watch since Apple Watches came out. That was God, I was fifteen years ago or something. It's the first kind of real change in the architecture of the watch. It's got more buttons, which allow you to assign functions. It's. I started my career, by the way, my undergrads in computer science. So I started as a programmer. So I'm a bit of a geek. Um, so I love the thing. It's um, If you're a diver, you can get an Oceanic app that turns your Apple Watch into a true dive computer. Uh, and it's... Um, it's I've seen YouTubes that uh, take simulated taking the thing way deeper than recreational divers go, like 150 meters to 500 feet, um, and it's absolutely fine. It's built like a tank. Um, it's a beautiful device. So that that's sort of what pops in my mind. Has the battery life improved? And yeah, very good point. The thing lasts for couple of days, you know, and if, oh, you know, wow, if you're wow. an Apple uh, watch user, you can't even wear it overnight, let alone um, right. a couple of days. So I, I just never worry about it running out of battery because I'm in the habit. I drive an EV, so I'm a plug-in guy at night, right? Your phone plugs in, your watch drops in, your, your, your AirPods drop in and you plug <laughs> in your car. Everything's plugged in. So I, it's, it's not like I, my poor wife, She's not that digital, and she forgets to plug things in. For me, it's like brushing my teeth. But he, yeah. but but the old um, Apple watches sometimes they you know you didn't even make it that if it was if they were a couple of years old. So yeah, much uh, much much better battery life. The uh, screen is larger and brighter. Just all around, it's a, a great device. Fantastic. Well, well, maybe we'll leave it there, Phil. How can people find out more about what you're doing? I think especially the the reports, all the interesting yeah, reports you guys you, are putting um, out. Uh, you know, during the pandemic, because we're a big old country company, right? We've been our, like I told you, the beginning, we've been around 110 years. We've been doing reports and uh, studies on on the Canadian real estate market for decades and decades. It's, our stuff feeds into the Bank of Canada's models. As far as housing goes, Royal Bank uses it in their affordability calculation. So it's there for the industry, for call it the economy. Uh, you can see it in on rollapage.ca in the media room under reports and surveys or just, um, you know, a Google search on rollapage.ca media room. And, and it all comes up. It's written in plain language that consumers can understand and designed for uh, realtors to drop into like a listing presentation or at least to educate themselves when they're going into a conversation with a uh, client who cares. And there are a lot of care clients who, who really do care about a realtor's impressions on where the market is going. Right. No, well, that's fantastic. Well, well, thanks again for taking the time today, Phil. We know you're really busy, so we really appreciate My your time. And that was a been, you, you, you ask good questions, guys. Uh, Good luck and uh, you know what? Enjoy your summers. <laughs> and likewise, likewise. Thanks, Phil. You take care. Bye bye. So, there you have it, folks. Our discussion with CEO and president of Royal LePage and Bismarck, 
Phil Soper. So many things from that conversation that I took away. And it's it's amazing how Phil is able to talk about like broad strokes, like the whole Canadian real estate market economy, and then kind of like double down or double click on like really granular level commentary on like local markets like yeah. Toronto or Vancouver. Like I feel like he's got such a strong understanding of all the towns and cities across the country. Really impressive guy. Really impressive guy. The charisma came through the phone. Uh, yeah. Phil no sounds kidding. like a fun guy. Not, not only, uh, you can tell he's a leader, yeah. right? You can, and it's it's not a surprise. He's in the position he's in and he's been in it for a long time. But yeah, sounds like a fun guy to, to have a drink with Well, you well. were saying, you guys share a lot of music tastes. I feel like tastes. every, basically he listed off. You're both Swifties. We're both Swifties. I know. I was thinking like, man, did we grow up in the, I think he's older than me. Well, yeah, I, I, I think so. But, I think so, but man, good taste. Good taste. Good taste. He seems like a wild party. Yeah, biologically. Physically, he's a, quite a bit younger than you. Uh, <laughs> he's actually 10 years yeah. younger than me. <laughs> Are we doing it based on like strength tests? Like, is this like a... Because like, he can definitely dead hang longer than you and probably tie his shoes with he on one leg. He has less like, body fat. Yeah. There's, there's a number of metrics that make him <laughs> biologically... But, but number wise, if we're <laughs> no, he's actually been on the earth longer, I would yeah, guess. Yeah, but uh, yeah. but great taste in music, nonetheless. <laughs> what else do we have before we cut for the day, Adam? Uh, we have well, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for all things real estate related. This includes all the summaries. You can search if you're interested in a certain topic. Go back in almost a decade's worth of content over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We of course have the live wire. This is our weekly mailer. With deal of the month, we have stats before anyone else, different types of stats. We also have, of course, private client services. Yeah, Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free. It's available at your fingertips over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And while you're there, we should really post the most current edition of uh, Business in BC. Oh, and, no, uh, Business Vancouver, in Vancouver. Or Business in, in Vancouver, BIV. And uh, and Vancouver is awesome. VIA. Uh, VIA and uh, REW. Uh, but estate, a, what is, is it Real Estate Works, I believe. Real Estate Works. And there was a segment in the Real Estate Excellence on us and the podcast. So, uh, yeah, that's a it's it's a good uh, it's a good photo. It's a nice of us. little read. A couple twin towers standing out in Yale Town. It was uh, it was pretty good. We look a lot. It, is it the camera angle? I feel like we look a lot taller than we are in real life. Yeah, well, it's it's, she, a, it's she was lying down. She yeah, shot up. I was like, gonna say almost the. Uh, I never thought of it, but it might be flattering. All right, well, follow us on Instagram at, at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. And then Matt, how can people find out? more about you or get in touch. Well, I would just say get in touch. Uh, they can try me at 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And of course, we also have uh, that nonpartisan Kokomo line info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We'll have a great week and we are back next week with some phenomenal episodes. I think next week we've got Kyle Green. Back Kyle Green, backed by popular demand. Uh, we just talked to him today. Yeah. And uh, this one does not disappoint. We're going to fly through July here. Flying through July. Like, uh, like you're going to be flying to Winnipeg. <laughs> Have a great week, guys. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.